And uh, if you want to go ahead and uh, begin to tune on in, uh, we are going to have our panel entitled Making Sense of Religious Liberty. And that is some of what we were attempting to do over the Sabbath, over today's program. And I think you know everybody by now, but just to mention for those who are also listening, we have Jennifer Woods, uh, the Lake Union uh, Parole Director and Legal Counsel. We have Pastor Dan McGrath from this church, uh, the Metro Church, uh, Mecca, uh, Wanpa, an attorney who attends this church, Pastor Cody Francis, Ministerial Director for the Michigan Conference, and myself, Andy M., Paul Director for the Michigan Conference. By the way, before uh, I ever um, visited here the first time, I remember your previous pastor, Pastor Daryl Bentley, I said, yeah, I'm going to go to the Detroit Metro Church. And he said, brother, it's Metro Church. <laughs> right? He made that uh, correction. And, and ever since then, I have been getting it right. So praise the Lord, because those types of things are important. Amen. And uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure once again to be with you. We're going to go ahead and just dive right in. We'll start off with a, a prayer. And, and jump right into these questions. Now, these are some of the questions that uh, I kind of put together as well as some questions were submitted. And we're also going to try and weave some of those questions in because they're related to the subject matter that we're discussing uh, and plan to discuss. So with that said, let's go ahead and bow our heads for a word of prayer and invite the Lord to be with us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this ability to worship you and to discuss freely uh, these topics. In some countries, you're not even able to do that. And so we thank you, Lord. Guide us, lead us, be with our thoughts. We pray for wisdom. Oh, how much wisdom we need. And to depend on you. We thank you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. With that said, I'm going to go ahead and start with uh, Pastor Cody, or Cody. Seventh-day Adventists are more politically engaged and enraged, you might say, than we've seen in, in recent memory. We were both at ministerial director, actually, or ministerial retreat, and Dan, you were there as well. And Pastor Dwight was sharing, he has not seen the level of vitriol, the division, in, uh, in our churches since he's been serving as a pastor. And so many are echoing this. We're fighting over political issues. We're witnessing members, transferring memberships to churches that reflect not Bible beliefs, but political ideology. And so, Cody, can you speak a little bit about this? You visit a lot of churches, probably more than anyone in the conference. And what counsel might you give to those debating uh, political issues in our churches today? Well, you know, it's, uh, it's unfortunate that we allow extra-biblical things to divide us. Because we're called to be one. That was Jesus' prayer for us in John 17, that we might be one. And so it's, it's unfortunate. So really we have to stop back and look at it individually. 
And I think, first of all, a rule of thumb that I would use is uh, spend more time in the Bible than you do in the news. Because if we're spending, you know, if, if someone is spending, uh, say they have their devotions in the morning and then they come home and watch the news for two or three hours or whatever or read the internet for two or three hours, you're ingesting a whole lot more of what's out there than what's in here. And that's going to affect your perspective. And it's going to affect what you're thinking about. And that's going to affect what you're talking about. We need to be people of the word not people of current events. I'm not saying to be ignorant of what's going on, but I am saying that the Word of God must be our primary focus and what we're just growing from. And so spend more time in the Bible than we do in the news, and then we're counseled in um, Fundamentals of Christian Education. It's page, uh, page 475. She simply says, bury political questions. Bury political questions. There, it, we don't need to be, uh, now there are some issues we need to discuss about, and you need, there's, it, there's a time to discuss issues, but most of what the arguments are, are political questions and not real issues that are from the Bible. So we need to bury those, uh, and uh, then we need to recognize and embrace and find our identity in Jesus. We find our identity in Jesus. There was a, a uh, Pew Research did a study a couple years ago, and they found that the most unifying factor in this country was not your ethnicity or your religion, but your political party. We've got to break that trend. We are Christians first and foremost, and if we are Christians united to Christ with our identity in Christ, we may have different ideas from different political perspectives, and that's okay. We need to embrace that diversity and recognize that people come from different backgrounds, different areas, um, and have different walks of life. But first and foremost, we're united in Christ, and we are Christians. We're not Democrats or Republicans or Libertarians or anything else. We're Christians. And so uh, as we keep that as a focal point, Hopefully it will help some of the political tensions to subside in our churches. Yeah, I was going to add, um, thank you. I was going to add that um, oftentimes what we see in just general people talking mirrors what we see in wherever they're watching. So all of us have probably been alive long enough to know that there was a time when political discourse I mean, I know it's changed historically up and down, but in more recent times, it was more uh, civilized, um, talking about different policy points and weighing the pros and cons. And there was, you know, I'll call it more intellectual debates on it. That's degraded to now it's more of a, I want to say something that's going to insult you or put you down or own you, as they say these days. And... Unfortunately, the more, like you said, the more we look at those things, the more we become like it. By beholding, we become changed. And so like you said, I agree 100% that God has called us, and, and Spirit of Prophecy is very clear, that we are not supposed to be political. We are supposed to be biblical. Amen. And the more we're biblical, the better we're able to have that unity because, like you said, the unity is in Christ not on political parties. Because if anyone wants to really be honest and look at it, all of the political parties get something wrong. Mm -hmm. And 
it's really not safe for us to be a part of any party wholeheartedly because each party has their own problems. But we should be Christians first and foremost. Yeah, it's not, it's not really ideas. As, it, it, it's ideas that we are indoctrinated with, but it's also attitudes, right? I mean, you see the, 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 the negative, vitriolic attitudes, uh, you know, against, um, you know, others that, that disagree with you, and then we take on those attitudes, and I think part of the reason why we're seeing such disunity is because we're also bringing those attitudes into our churches, and, and that's a problem. Yeah, and just to, to piggyback on what everyone said and also to make a plug for uh, the North American Division's Religious Liberty Department, um, we have been seeing politics influencing our Christianity and our faith. And there's actually a, a new program by the Parole Department at the North American Division called Faith and Politics where we tackle these issues. And the tagline of it is, do our politics um, influence our faith or is our faith influencing our politics? And I think that that's something we need to think about. What is influencing what? Are we being led by our political ideologies as to what parts of the Bible we want to focus on or are we letting our faith dictate how we look at issues of the day? But I do want to say that there is a program out there. Um, it's available at religiousliberty.info, which is the North American Division's um, website. And then I'll, I'm done with my, my plug. I, you know, I would also say that we need to recognize that we are our brother's keeper. Amen. And I've had, I have had individuals tell me that they no longer go to this church, they no longer go to any church, because of the dominant covert political rhetoric yep. that was discussed at prayer meeting, that was even in announcements. Mm -hmm. And so if we allow that to come into our church, we are pushing away others and we could be responsible for that we are our brother's keeper and we need to recognize that Amen. I'm not saying it was right for him to leave but it is we need to recognize that there are weaker brothers that don't want that that could be their reality mm -hmm. let's move on to the, the, the second question and I want to start off or put this in context. I was listening to a podcast recently. Many of you uh, know Bill Barr. He's a former U.S. Attorney uh, General. And he said this in a recent book, the civil rights issue of our time has to do with religious liberty enshrined in the free exercise clause and the establishment clause of the First Amendment. And this is what he said in, this, in the podcast. Um, the problem today is that we're in a very pluralistic, diverse society. There's no consensus on moral value systems. What we need today is a live and let live attitude, and it has to be a two-way street, meaning for the secular left as well as, as Christians. What I think is happening today is not that religions are trying to impose their views of morality on the non-faithful or people who don't have religion, and by the way, that could be debated, that statement there. I think it's the opposite. If you're a Catholic doctor, you have to perform an abortion. If you're a Catholic hospital, you have to perform sex selection surgery. And of course, he's, he's a Roman Catholic. Or you can't teach this in your school because it's hate speech. Um, if you're teaching traditional do doctrine. I think we're so pluralistic it was one thing in the 60s and before when 95% of the country 
were practicing Christians or believing Christians, but to have the state now as the moral instructor trying to bring us all together in a melting pot through state agencies, it's not working. And some of you and, and many of us may resonate with this statement because we, we see it reflected in society today by, by Christians. So this is the question I'm going to turn over to Jennifer here. Many Christian entities, individuals, believe their freedom to exercise biblical values is under legitimate threat. For example, why should a Christian be coerced to bake a cake or offer a service for a ceremony they consider unbiblical? Christian education entities feel increasingly threatened for sharing biblical teachings on marriage, for example. These are the religious liberty issues that many believe, as well as Seventh-day Adventists, that should be the focus of the church today. So question, is it one of the focuses of the Seventh-day Adventist church? And what is the church doing to address these and other similar concerns? So as part of religious liberty and looking at religious liberty from a global perspective, I want us to step back first and recognize um, or acknowledge the, the statistics that Pastor Cody mentioned, that 70%, and some statistics are higher as far as individuals, it can go up to 80% of individuals around the world that aren't free to worship um, according to the dictates of their conscience. Right? So there are places in the world where either the state has imposed religion and told people you can worship here, worship this um, way, worship on this day in this way, or there are places where this, the church is so antagonistic to, to any kind of religion at all that it says you just can't worship, period. And so from a global, when we look at religious liberty from a global perspective, our church is looking at cases of, of serious persecution where people have been imprisoned, people have been killed. We have a member who was in jail for over 10 years in Pakistan because of his faith. We have people who are in hiding underground, people who have, have fleed countries um, because they've been targeted. So I, I want us to remember that in this country we have so much religious liberty and so much freedom that we really need to be thankful for. Now that being said, there are issues even in this country with people being able to worship freely. And so we do look at issues when people, you know, when people aren't able to um, get Sabbath accommodations, for instance, or where people have questions as far as what they can teach or what they can share. But I, I see in this question we're talking about two actual, well, at least one case that went before the Supreme Court, the, the case of um, Masterpiece um, Cake. And that was a case in Colorado where, the, where this individual was um, designing cakes and he didn't want to design a cake for a, a, a gay wedding for a homosexual couple. And this case, um, one of the issues was, does he have, would this be a violation of his free speech or his First Amendment rights of freedom of religion if he's forced to, to design this cake? Now, the court ended up coming down on a very specific issue as far as the hostility that the state of Colorado showed this man and how they decided his request. 
Um, but there's a similar case that's coming out now that the Supreme Court recently heard hasn't been decided on with a woman in Colorado who has a website. Um, she designs websites, and she does not want to de design websites for homosexual um, couples. Now, at first we may say, wait, we don't want the state telling us that we have to design a cake or a website for a homosexual couple, but we also need to step back and think about the fact that these are people who are out in the, pu in, in the public sphere offering services to the public. These are public accommodations. And so this isn't a case of someone forcing someone to create a cake or you're going to go to jail. They're saying if you're going to offer services to the public at large, you have to be able to offer those services to everyone. Now, it's going to be interesting to see how the court comes down on this, uh, on this particular case, especially given the, the current makeup of the court. But I do want to just say that in, in this instance, it's not just someone being coerced to make a cake. It's someone who's offering services to the public at large. And is it okay for them to say, well, I can offer these services to everyone except for to you because you're homosexual or to you because you're black or you because I just don't like you? Or do they have to offer services to everyone? Um, dealing with schools and being able to share biblical teachings, uh, we currently are able to share our biblical teachings in our schools. And, you know, I can talk about some recent cases that did come out, but I will say this is the, the beauty of um, Christian education, and in particular, Adventist education, is that we can teach according to the dictates of our conscience. We can teach according to our religious traditions in ways that aren't allowable in public schools. This is one of the reasons that we should be supporting Adventist education, because we're able to share our biblical teachings on marriage, our biblical teachings on a whole host of things that maybe greater society might say is inappropriate in, in a larger setting. So I know that there was, um, and, it, and the attorneys can kind of refresh me, you know, the reciprocity of, of gay marriage across state lines, right? Would, would you see that as an example of we need to uh, protect their freedom to do that? Because in doing that, it goes back to the principle you were kind of sharing, that even though we disagree with that practice, in protecting their right to do that, it's also protecting everyone's right to pr practice their religion. Do you see uh, a line of logic there that's consistent with how we would apply the law there. Yeah, so let me talk about the, that's the Respect for Marriage Act that you're talking yeah. about. Um, and, and actually, you know, our church did not support or come out in support of that law, but our church did, do, uh, did participate in lobbying to make sure that religious protections were embedded into the law. So the law, when it was originally um, proposed in the House, had no mention of religious liberty protections. It was granting um, reciprocity within, you know, amongst the states to say if, if a marriage is um, legal in one state, then it has to be legal in all states. And so it was protecting the rights of homosexuals to marry and also protecting the right for interracial marriages. I don't know if people realize that, but that was never actually in the law. Like there's a case on it, but this um, like kind of codified it, right? Like it put it in law. Um, but it never said that religious liberty, that, that religious um, uh, views on marriage needed to be protected and respected. When this came before the Senate, the Seventh-day Adventist Church actually lobbied to make sure that religious liberty protections were also included as a balance 
because, you know, we, we want to make sure that we weren't going to be forced to um, participate in or officiate marriages that are against our biblical teaching. And this was, in part, we were able to be at the table because we were building, we have been building relationships with senators, with Congress people, with political leaders, and also because we have been involved in legislation called Fairness for All. And I'm not sure how many of you are aware of that legislation. It's, it's a, in part a response to the Equality Act. Um, both of these laws are designed to grant LGBTQ people um, civil protections against discrimination. And I think that going to Pastor Cody's sermon, you know, part of liberty is making sure that others also have liberty. But what's included in Fairness for All and the reason that the Seventh-day Adventist Church is involved in this um, legislation is because it balances those rights of granting the LGBT community with um, non-discrimination with also granting religious protections for those to be able to um, those of, with religious leanings and those of, to be able to practice their faith um, without fear of retaliation. So it's this balancing. It says, hey, we can live where both you can have your liberty and your freedom, but we also have ours to practice according to the dictates of our conscience. Those don't have to be an either or. So, and, and this is not part of the script. So how involved really behind the scenes is the Adventist church when it comes to a variety of things we see in the court system and, and issues that are coming out? Sure, so just to go back to respect for marriage, we had um, you know, people within the North American division who were meeting with senators. Senators actually thanked the Seventh-day Adventist church for their involvement in making sure that some of these protections were in place. And I think that had we not been involved, we might not have seen that language that was granting us um, religious protection. Um, so we're involved there. Um, we also track legislation um, at the state and local level as well, so it's not just at the national level. Um, and we're involved in monitoring court cases. So the, the Seventh-day Adventist Church is involved in um, providing amicus briefs, that's friend of the court briefs, when issues come up that deal with um, religious liberty. So a couple years ago, I don't know if you remember the Abercrombie case where this um, woman had applied for a job, she had a hijab on, and she was not given the job specifically because of, of um, her head, the headscarf that she was wearing. Our church was involved there because, you know, our view is if there is an imposition on religious liberty for anyone, it's an imposition for everyone. And so we don't just protect religious liberty for those who believe like us. We believe very strongly that people should be allowed to worship according to the dictates of their conscience, not just Seventh-day Adventists, mm. not just Christians, but all people. So true freedom really is freedom for everyone to worship or not worship according to the, their conscience. I, I really appreciate that. Um, does anyone else have anything to add? Yeah. You know, I was just going to say that I really appreciate you bringing out the balance there uh, because that's the balance we need to always keep in mind that we have, we want to be Christians to people that we disagree with too. Yeah. So we do not, we do not, um, we do not condone a homosexual lifestyle. So that's very clear biblically and uh, we don't condone that. We're not going to uh, perform homosexual weddings in our churches. We're not going to have members that are, follow that are openly practicing homosexuality. That would be a violation of the commandments. And so we have to stand for these things, but also recognize we love them. We want to reach them. We want to help them and be a witness to them as well. Amen.
Uh, Pastor Dan, I'm not hearing from you too much. Um, but the next question is for you. Um, as a local pastor, which you are, there's a plethora of hot button, you know, moral and societal issues you might choose to preach on or, or not uh, from your pulpit, ranging from abortion, police brutality, wokeism, Ukraine, guns. I mean, there's a whole gamut of things, right? Church leaders are often urged by some to speak out on issues that are associated with you know, political perspectives. I know I, I receive emails in my office. Um, and so prior to preaching and teaching on these topics from the pulpit, uh, what are some principles that you might consider before jumping into the fray? And, and then the broader question of what issues do Adventists get involved in or, or not? Okay, so I, I've been kind of quiet because I've been, you know, soaking it all in. I'm just enjoying it, what I'm hearing. So um, keep, keep the good conversation going. But um, there's a lot of things to preach about. So, you know, I have roughly 52 a year, Sabbaths a year to, to give the message. Um, so that definitely plays into what I'm going to talk about. But um, when it comes to these uh, you know, to use your phrase, hot-button moral and societal issues, um, I first have to remember that I'm a Seventh-day Adventist pastor, and the mission of the Seventh-day Adventist church is to preach the three angels' message, um, and to break that down, the everlasting gospel to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. And so the first thing that I think about when I'm addressing any hot-button issue is how can I find the biblical ideal and principle that will not alienate one group and bring one group in? I don't want to alienate anybody because God has given us the commission to preach the gospel to everybody. So you'll never hear me talk about how you should vote, whether it's for one candidate or another, because I don't believe that we should make that a dividing issue, as um, Pastor Francis already noted that we should bury political questions. That doesn't mean I, I don't think we should have opinions about it. I think we can. We can have civil conversations. But preaching is not the place to tell people how to vote and where, what to do with their, with their vote. Um, it's also, if I, if I say this is how it has to be on any issue and the rest of, of you can just go and, you know, mind your own business or go somewhere else that you agree with, I'm, I'm effectively alienating half of the people. Uh, because uh, maybe you know this, but Seventh-day Adventists are divided um, right around the 50% mark between strongly liberal and strongly conservative, okay, on, on political issues. So as soon as I say something on um, the environment, half of the people are not listening. And Andy, you said, you know, be a Berean, don't take my word for it. I, I think the situation is now reversed where we say, don't write me off. Go look at it in the Bible, okay? Because people will do that. Um, but then, getting back to what to preach about, I think that when we look at early Christianity, there's a few things that they, um, they preached about and practiced. They were a multiracial and multi-ethnic group of people because the gospel was for everybody. And that's what Jesus was, you know, coming to Paul on the road to Damascus saying, you know, go and, and this is your ministry to the Gentiles. They were committed to caring for the poor and the marginalized right early on in the book of Acts. That's something that they, they took on and they gave to the poor till it hurt. Um, as if you were here with, um, for church, David was saying, you know, in Spanish it sounds better, but give until you start laughing, 
right? That doesn't mean that, you know, you're laughing because it's funny to give. It means that it's a joy. You give until the joy, like past the pain until the joy of giving comes home to your heart. Um, they were also very, very strong against infanticide. A lot of Romans, if they didn't get a boy or if they didn't get the child that they were hoping for, they would just throw them in the trash pile. And so a Christian would come along and they would take these babies and they would raise them. Um, we, might, we might say that would be very, very strongly against abortion today uh, in the Christian position. And then they had some very, very strong um, countercultural ideas about sexual relationships. And in the Roman culture, men could do whatever they wanted, and women were held to a high standard. And Paul comes along, and the apostles come along, and they say, no, everybody has to stick to the standard. And they told it what it was like. And so the, there was one other thing. They were committed to non-retaliation and forgiveness. Now, the first two about being culturally diverse and about caring for the poor and the marginalized, that's very, very liberal today. And the last two about being against infanticide or abortion and, and holding a standard of marriage relationships is very conservative. But the middle one there about forgiveness and non-retaliation is not like any political party. And so, you know, Mecca alluded to this already, but we as a Christians are Christians first. We're not beholden to any political group of people. And so we can preach. It doesn't matter if it sounds like it's liberal or if it sounds like it's conservative. If it's in the Bible, if it's based on the Word of God, we can preach it. We may offend, but we can preach it with confidence knowing that we're grounded in the principles of God's Word. And if we can't ground it in the principles of God's Word, then we shouldn't preach it. So my first consideration, don't alienate unless it's absolutely necessary and then stick with the gospel. In addition, um, I love everything the pastor said. Um, that should not, what he said should not be taken to say that as people we're not sensitive to what's going on in the world. And unfortunately we live in a world, again because of how political, how political people are, that things, something can be wrong but if it's the side that you like that does it, somehow it's not that bad. But if the other side did the exact same thing, it's a big problem. And as, as, uh, as Christians, as preachers, as, as leaders in the church, we need to stand against wrong, period. If something is wrong, something is wrong. Um, and, and another thing is, uh, another, I love his, his elements. Another thing that I, I think I keep in mind too, I'm sure you do the same thing is, also watch and see, because sometimes when, um, you know, people want us to always comment on news things, just wait a little bit. Make sure the facts come out, because sometimes something can happen and it seems one way and people up in arms, but then you find out what really happened and then people are more quiet because they realize it wasn't what it first appeared to be. So we have to be very careful, but we should be able to comment if, you know, and I know we're going to talk about this later, but if we see something like um, what happened with, uh, with, with George Floyd, where the, where the officer is on the guy's neck, he can't breathe, and he dies, that's wrong. And we should be willing to say that that's something that no one should have to either witness or go through. And, and, and it doesn't matter, politics aside, there should be no politics in that. If something is wrong, something is wrong. And so those are other things I thought of when you and were that, speaking. That's uh, something that we call prophetic preaching, not prophetic from the prophecies, but prophetic as in speaking truth to power. 
And that's a very, um, a very biblical, and if you read the Minor Prophets, that's essentially what they were doing. You know, I would say I appreciate all the, the comments. I think it's really good. The, we also want to elevate our speech above the political rhetoric. Let me give a couple examples of that. So the rhetoric talks about pro-life, pro-choice, abortion, and things like that. We don't even need to talk about any of that. We talk about the sanctity of life, which is much higher uh, than uh, these debates that take place in the political sphere. And it goes beyond that. So it's not just the sanctity of life for the unborn. It's the sanctity of life for the immigrant children as well. It's the sanctity of life for people of color that are uh, beaten by police more frequently than others. And so it's sanctity of life for everybody. And so we, we look at the biblical principle above the political discourse. Something else that I would say is that make sure that we're not only preaching on one type of issue that's on one side. So because if we do that, we no longer have a biblical voice and we're having a political voice. So if we're only talking about one side's issues, there's plenty of unbiblical issues going on on all sides of the aisle. Make sure we're balancing. And so, look, yes, we, we stand for the sanctity of life, but we stand against racism too. And uh, so we want to be balanced in that regard and make sure that it's biblical moral issues we're talking about and that anything outside of that, sometimes it gets conflated. Economic issues and various other uh, policy decisions, that's not our place. If it's not in the Bible, don't speak about it. Yeah, I, oh, go ahead. No, no, go on. <laughs> no, I just, uh, just to piggyback, and you, I think you're gonna remember this, uh, Cody, uh, you know, shortly after COVID and things were starting to improve and our conference president said, hey, in a worship talk, let's, let's not make masking an issue, a dividing line between our people. When you go out to the churches, get a feel for the church and see where they're at because, hey, I can wear it, I don't have to wear it, and I hope that the leaders in a church can do that as well, and let's not make that the issue. Let's let the message be what people hear and not simply the wearing or not wearing of the mask. I, I, love, I love everything that's been said, and I love the fact um, that you, you know, we talked about speaking above the politics, speaking to the Bible, and I think we also need to be careful to not let um, certain words or phrases that have been co-opted stop us from speaking truth, right? They're biblical principles. I think that, you know, if I say the word social justice, people say, but let's talk about biblical justice, right? Because that is something that we can all agree on. So we can think about Micah 6, 8. We can think about Isaiah 58. We can talk about Matthew 25. And it's the same call to, to free the oppressed and to help the least of these, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to help the orphan, to help the stranger. So I think that, you know, if we know that there's going to be a word that's going to throw people off or going to stop them from listening, let's rephrase it into words that, that keep people's minds open. And we can still get the same message across, especially if we're dealing with, you know, what's the principle and what does the Bible say on this and what's the heart of the issue and the heart is reflecting God's love in all of these things. And if we're veering away from that central message, then maybe it's a message that we shouldn't be preaching. So, Brother Cody, fundamental belief number 22, it states that our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit, that we are to abstain from anything harmful 
uh, to our bodies and to manage our health intelligently. Many faithful Seventh-day Adventists assume that the vaccine is, in fact, uh, harmful. Now, if the health message is part of our explicitly stated fundamentals, doesn't that make vaccine mandates a religious liberty concern? Because you touched upon this topic today, and at the very least, for those specific members. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a, obviously a question that's been asked a lot of times, and so it's certainly something that we need to think about, and there's, there's going to be various opinions about it. So I'm going to share what I, my understanding is. First of all, I want to say, you know, if we have a conviction uh, that we should not, that we should do something or we should not do something, I want to, I want to uh, just applaud that conviction. We, we all need to have our own personal convictions, and we need to respect one another's personal conviction. If somebody has a conviction that for, for themselves or for the good of society, they want to get a vaccine, we want to respect that. If somebody has a conviction that they should not get a vaccine uh, for the whatever reasons, uh, for themselves or other reasons, we want to respect and appreciate those convictions and those individual uh, decisions. So, but looking at it specifically, we do have Fundamental Belief 22, as you quote there, that our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. Our fundamental beliefs are biblical. And we need to make sure that when we are putting in, when we are talking about our fundamental beliefs, that they're solidly, biblically based. And no question about it, our fundamental beliefs, as stated, are. So, what do I mean? Why am I bringing this up? Well, you know, we make, a, we, make a, we help those with Sabbath work accommodations because that is a very biblical issue. We can turn and, I mean, I've written letters and all of us probably have written letters and been involved with it where we say, you know what, these, these are their convictions and we can stand on it from the Bible. The same thing with prisoners with wanting to have uh, 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 not have to eat unclean meat and things like this. This is solidly biblical. Um, conscientious conviction, uh, conscientious non-combatancy and that. This is solidly biblical things that we can stand on a Bible principle here. The challenge with the vaccine, the principle of uh, our stewardship of our bodies is solidly biblical, but we all have different convictions and ideas of what that means. I'm sure that, up, uh, that on our panel right here, and certainly within our, with all of us that are a part of this discussion and watching and whatever, we have different ideas of what that means to take care of the body, our, our, the, um, our body and, and to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. There may be some things that some of us are comfortable of eating or drinking that others aren't. There might be some practices. So there, we're getting into, when we start to get into the finer details, we're getting into individual convictions. And we're not so much in the realm of religious liberty issues, but more individual liberty things. There's something else I think we need to, to consider, and that is we are a body of believers. We don't, we're not individual atoms. And so as a body, we have agreed upon these fundamental beliefs. And when we're baptized, we agree on these fundamental beliefs. 
we want to be careful against going beyond that and not moving in step with the body. There's a statement here that I think is very interesting. It's from Christian Experience uh, and Teachings of Ellen White, page 201. She says, all the efforts to establish order are considered dangerous, a restriction of rightful liberty, and hence are feared as popery. These devoted souls considered a virtue to boast of their freedom to think and act independently. They will not take any man's say-so. They are amenable to no man. I was shown that it is Satan's special work to lead men to feel that it is God's order for them to strike out for themselves and to choose their own course independent of their brethren. And so we need to be careful that we're moving as a body and respecting body decisions. And the tragedy in this discourse and this discussion that's taken place about this issue is assertions and uh, um, unfair accusations have made, been made against the body of believers. If, if God is leading us in that area, he's going to lead a body in that area as well. And so we in the United States in particular degree enjoy a large degree of personal freedom. And so that's where I would classify the vaccine or not to or to receive it is in the area of personal conviction. And I believe if we, if we have a conviction we shouldn't take it, by all means, I support that decision and want to help in any way that we can with that. But I don't want to say it's a religious liberty. It's a more of a personal liberty conviction than anything else. Why is that important? Because religious liberty and speaking out for religious liberty, we don't want to cry wolf too many times that we mute our voice. Let me give you an example. These are real examples. I know people years ago that refused, that studied a number of years in college, refused to get a vaccine because of their personal conviction and switched their major and lost a number of those years. You know what? I support their religious, con their conviction it might not be my conviction, but I support theirs. What about others? You know, there are medical professionals like massage therapists or doctors that would prefer to only serve their own um, gender, either male and male and female or female. I support that and appreciate that, but is it more of a personal conviction? Even though there are statements that relate to that in the spirit of prophecy, but is it more of a personal, how do we apply the principles rather than a church decision and a fundamental and a religious liberty conviction. Mm -hmm. The same th could be said about working in a uh, restaurant or something, Subway, where you're touching unclean meat or something like that. So it's, some may say, yes, I can do that. Others may say, I cannot. This is, these are some personal convictions we have to work through and give that personal liberty to one another and support one another in their personal convictions. But to say it's religious liberty or a fundamental, I personally think we're pushing that too far when we say that. Yeah, it, you make an interesting point because the health message is a, a principle, mm -hmm. as you shared. You find it in the Bible, and it stands the test of time. To find out whether the vaccine is, is healthy or not, you have to go to the CDC. You have to go to human authorities. Some go to VAERS. Some go to the CDC, the WHO, et cetera. So I, I do see uh, the, the point that you're making there. Anyone else want to add to that? Um, yeah, I was going to um, give um, maybe another perspective. So um, as, as, we look at, as we look at the whole spectrum of biblical instruction, 
we recognize that the Bible contains some specific guidance and also gives us principles. And while it's true that there's nothing, no one can read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and it says whether you should take a vaccine or, doesn't, or you shouldn't take a vaccine, there's nothing in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation that say you should use crack or you shouldn't use crack, right? There's nothing there. But there are principles in the Bible that would say, you know what? What is the outcome of people who take crack, for instance? Does that, does that promote health or not? What does the Bible say about health? What does the Bible say about taking care of your body? And then a reasonable person would look at it and say, you know what? Even though this might be something that my friends might do or others might do, if I look at the Bible, the Bible is telling me not to do it. It's not, it's not healthy. And, and that's, how, that's how, as a church, that's how we have come to conclusions on things like, um, you know, morphine or whether it's come on um, to things like um, cigarettes and, and, and other things because we looked at the principle. So there's nothing specifically in the Bible that talks about it, but the principles are there in the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. And so when people are taking, taking a life situation and they're then going to the Bible to find principles, and if the, there's principles that would shed light on it, and that is how the Bible is telling them basically the way of life, the way of the Christian life is the religious life, then there is a religious aspect to that. That's not just a secular issue. If it's something that's completely secular, that there's nothing in the Bible that pertains to whatsoever, not even in principle. It's just a, like for instance, should I, you know, should I live in um, Lansing or should I live in Detroit? The Bible doesn't talk about that. Um, there's nothing, nothing in there. And, and there might not even be any principles in there, but there are many things in life that are. So I'm not trying to make everything to say everything is religious, but like the question is kind of asking, life, um, things that pertain to our health, we, we as a church, we believe that one of the ways that we worship God is through our bodies and how we take care of our bodies. That's what we tell people and we promote that. And if there's something that is taken, and I'm, this, is, this seems to be talking about the vaccine, but it's actually broader, we really say if it's something that's going to negatively impact your body, then you should take a look at it because that, the, the, your body is one of the ways that God communicates to you, specifically through your mind. You know, I just wanted to go back to the quote you read in the beginning um, and highlight one of the phrases there because sometimes it's okay to have convictions that go beyond stated church doctrine and beliefs. I shouldn't say sometimes. It is okay but the problem is when we have convictions and beliefs that go beyond what the church says and we try to make everybody else come along with us and they don't, then we strike out on our own and we start to look back on the ins or down on the church that we've come out of. We start to you know, lose faith in the institution, faith in the leaders, faith in God's people that are there and start to call them Babylon. I have a real issue with that. And I think Satan is behind that, even though I think it's okay to have convictions that are you know, deeply held, deeply personal and go beyond what the church states, I don't think we should strike out independently on our own. And that's the phrase that, that you read. Sorry to steal your paper here. But independent of their brethren. And so if I hold a principle or a conviction that leads me to start to look down on people, I need to examine my heart. Not necessarily the conviction is wrong, but I need to start examining my heart to make sure that it's not causing me to separate from the other people that God has blessed. And let's face it, 
Some of times our health convictions are based on our own personal bodies, which are very different from each other. My son can eat and eat and eat, and if I tried that, it would be very unhealthy, <laughs> okay? Just for one, I, I have a conviction that I should not eat like my son, okay? Um, and so I think that that's very important because it, there is a growing group of people who are leaving the church because they have convictions that are not shared or endorsed or supported in their extreme or in their fullness, and that's a very dangerous thing also. I just want to piggyback when you mentioned conviction. Conviction is fine. Um, the three Hebrew boys were convicted. Daniel was convicted, right? And, and those were actual, like those were religious liberty issues about who to worship, how to worship, when to worship. But they also were willing to follow through with their conviction no matter what the consequence was, right? They said, if we perish, we perish. Um, they followed their conviction. They didn't ask everyone to, they didn't ask everyone else to change um, based on their conviction. They said they'll let things play out as they were, as they did. And God rescued them. But even if God didn't, their conviction still would have been fine, right? Because they did what, what God told them to do. Amen. And, and in line with that, when we have a religious liberty, a religious liberty issue that we're convicted on, you know, we have the blessing of having a church that stands behind us. But if we didn't, we would still stand and we would still be willing to suffer civil liberty losses for that. We shouldn't expect that all of our civil liberties could be preserved while we're standing up for our religious freedom. That's right. So moving forward, um, and, and I don't want to get too far into the weeds uh, here with this question, Jennifer, but there, there has been a lot of controversy over statements that were published by the General Conference, the administration, department, etc., cetera, uh, regarding vaccines and the mandates, et cetera. We've kind of uh, touched upon some of that already. Now, I think it's safe to say many appreciated them and many uh, did not, right? So what are some considerations that might be helpful for members to understand Right, regarding the, the thought process, the factors involved in producing such statements, and perhaps a larger global uh, perspective that might be helpful in our understanding as, as members, as church people, uh, uh, in terms of understanding these statements that are published by the World Church. Sure. So let's talk about the immunization statement in particular, which was um, approved in 2015, which, is, as we all know, predated the pandemic. So when statements come out from the World Church, these are voted statements. These aren't statements that come out from one person, from the president, or from one department. Um, they're voted by, um, in this particular case, the executive committee, which is the second highest governing body outside of general conference session. So it's not like this was some small group of people that came up with this immunization statement. And when the church makes a statement, especially at the, G at the general conference level, um, these are statements that aren't just um, addressing an, an issue in North America or an issue in the United States or in Europe. These are global statements. So in, with this statement, it talks about um, encouraging responsible immunization and vaccination. And it says they have no, there's no religious or faith-based reason not to encourage um, adherence to responsibly um, participate in immunization programs. Now, I was not working at the General Conference when the statement came out, but I will say that immunizations, vaccination programs have been shown to save 
millions of lives since their creation. Um, and so this was probably an encouragement to the world church to say, listen, please consider this. Think of, you know, this is your decision, but, but consider immunization as, as part of um, the health message in, in, in part. But then they go on to say, they balance this by saying, we're not the conscience of the individual church member. We recognize individual choices. These are exercised by the individual. The choice not to be immunized is not and should not be seen as dogma nor doctrine of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So even when the statement was made, it was never made as the church saying everyone has to go get vaccinated. It was saying that we believe in reasonable vaccination. It left the question up to the individual as to what kind of vaccinations are reasonable and which kinds of vaccinations aren't. And, and those may really depend on the individual because for some people they may have reactions and for some people they may not. Um, but this wasn't a statement that was made by one individual or even just by the health ministries department of the church. This was voted on by the executive committee of the world church. And, and our statements are always voted on by a broader body than just one or two or three or five or even 10 individuals. Um, Jennifer and I talked a little bit before, so it kind of led you into our conversation. Um, so like what I relate to her is that there are stories of people who, um, you know, with regard to the COVID vaccine, what we're talking about right now, they wanted to get a medical, uh, religious exemption at their work. They, you know, went through the proper channels. Um, they, through the course of that conversation, may have said that they're Seventh-day Adventists. And then the workplace would go to the website, look at what the website said. And what we're saying, what you're saying, and what I agree is they misconstrued what was there. And they said, okay, well, look, you know, it says here that you guys, your church, uh, you know, believes in this. So if your church believes in it, how can you say there's a religious exemption? Why do you want a religious exemption if your church believes in it? And, and, and maybe you can share with them what you said to me with regard to, you know, one, what the statement actually said, but also really what is the core of where our religious liberties come from in the United States? Is it based on what the church says or is it the individual? Sure, thank you for sharing part of our, I think this is, sharing part of our conversation, I think this is, is good to share more broadly. So yeah, again, as I stated, the, the statement does say the church believes in responsible vaccination, but it also went on to say that it's an individual choice and it's not church doctrine or church dogma um, to, for individuals to be vaccinated. But stepping back to what the law actually requires, if we're talking about the employment, in the employment context, we should look at Title VII, right? And under Title VII, employers are not supposed to discriminate based on religion. And part of that means that if someone wants to get an accommodation because something that they're being asked to do at work or when they're being hired, they're being discriminated on, um, all that the court should be looking at is the individual's sincerely held religious belief. They shouldn't be looking, it doesn't matter what the church says on an issue. So whether the pastor writes a letter saying this is the individual's um, belief or the individual writes it, as long as the individual states that this is my belief, that's really all the employer should be having to go on. So when an employer says, I need a letter from your pastor or from the conference to validate that this is a church belief, that's really outside the scope of what the employer should be asking for anyway. All that matters is that an individual says, this is my sincerely held religious belief, even if it is broader, even if it goes beyond what the church says, um, we're allowed to do that, right? We, we don't need the church to tell us um, all, of, all of our convictions. 
you know, we, we have a relationship with God, and if God convicts you of something, even if it's beyond what the church has told, you know, even with, if it's beyond what the church's doctrine is, if God convicts you, that's your sincerely held religious belief. So Maybe, maybe a way forward, looking down the line, if something like this were to arise, because I think what you're sharing right now, the everyday person doesn't have access to that knowledge, right, that, that information. And so maybe in the future, if, if we come across with an instance like this, it, it, it could be helpful for the church to write a document that, that kind of spells this out, because knowledge can be power, right? And then on top of that, maybe um, have a listing of attorneys in, in, in a given state that could provide assistance uh, not from the standpoint of the church proper, but professional Seventh-day Adventist attorneys out there. And, and, I, and I'm just thinking about this because I received dozens of, uh, of letters, or requests for um, template letters in relation to employment and COVID. And, we, and I cut out a, a, a number of, of um, letters on behalf of members throughout the state. And so I think it would be helpful, and, and maybe, you know, whether it's the responsibility of the division, the union, et cetera, that it would be helpful, I think, moving forward. I mean, yeah, the Parle Department is here. You have both um, your church, Religious <laughs> Liberty yeah. Leader, the conference Parle Director, and the union Parle Director. So we're here. We're a resource. This is part of our ministry. So if you face an issue, um, hopefully we're not going to face a pandemic again in our lifetime. Yeah. But, you know, uh, you know, you know that we're here for Sabbath accommodation issues and some of the other issues that Pastor Cody mentioned. But if you're facing any kind of issue that's dealing with convictions that are interfering with work, reach out to Emika, reach out, you know, to me, or he'll reach out to me, or reach out to Andy. We're here as a resource, so. Yeah, I forgot that I work for the, the church as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with the people. Sign yourself up. <laughs> All right. So, uh, final question, and by the way, I've really enjoyed this, this dialogue, uh, and this last question. Okay. Um, Adventists, along with hundreds of uh, oh, let me put it up here on screen. Adventists, along with hundreds of Americans, lost their jobs over the vaccine. Many did feel a, a keen sense of injustice from their employers, the local and, and federal government. And I think we saw many coalesce around various you know, groups and entities that supported their cause, right, a given cause. And on the flip side, many persons of, of color, immigrants, uh, other minorities feel a real sense of injustice, too. Whether it be brutal treatment at the hands of law enforcement, shortcomings of the judicial system, and racism broadly, and similarly, many coalesced around various groups and entities also uh, within the church. Now, Emeka, are these two sides of the same coin? Uh, and is it the role of the Seventh-day Adventist church proper to actively address these matters? Um, it's a good question. So let's take it bit by bit. Um, you know, I think anyone that was paying attention saw that various uh, government agencies or various employers treated the whole COVID situation differently. There were some that said, listen, if you don't get the vaccine, you're done. There's some that said, no, we just kind of want to know if you've gotten it or not. And 
you stay, you can come to work and just have a mask on, whatever. And so to the extent that um, employers were um, more, let's call it reasonable with how they administered something that was actually left to them to a large extent how to administer it, we're grateful for that. And for those that were more draconian, you know, hopefully, you know, being in a capitalistic marketplace, um, you know, we'll see how that impacts how they retain and attract people in the future. We'll see. So that, that's one issue. But I really, I want to um, kind of bring up what you mentioned earlier um, with regard to um, the presentation about the, um, the lamb-like beast and speaking like the dragon. I think you used dragon's breath. I like that, dragon's breath. So um, although to some, I don't know if you really said this, but I, sometimes I kind of felt that you were making it seem as if it was either or as far as looking at it from a um, historical sense of what's been happening to what's going to happen in the future. Um, you may or may not have been doing that. But my, my thinking is, is kind of a, a, a is, is kind of all in one, which is that someone, a, 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 the dragon acts like a dragon whenever acts like a dragon. Yes, it's true that Revelation 13 is specifically talking about how the dragon acts towards God's people, but that doesn't mean that it hasn't acted as a dragon towards anyone else. And if we look through history, there's been lots of people, groups, that, you know, the dragon, ha- the lamb-like beasts act like a dragon towards those people. And I, I would never look at any of them or their descendants and say, oh, you weren't persecuted or you didn't have a hard time because of how you were treated. And uh, we can go through the list, but we don't need to go through that. But as far as the same coin, back to that part of your question, I think it's the same coin because a lot of what we see in the world is based on selfishness. Um, we talked about the political question here. Many times people are a part of political groups based on self-interest. And when it doesn't affect, when, when your party does something that doesn't affect you, you might not care so much. But when it affects you, or the other party does something that affects you, now you care a lot about it. And again, we're looking at it from a selfish angle. And we shouldn't do that. Like it was said before, we're our brother's keepers. We're a Christian. We're a brotherhood. We are supposed to look out for each other. And we're supposed to really go after what is right or wrong. So, yes, um, this is a fantastic country. Anyone that has looked at other countries will see that many other countries have a lot to learn from the United States. At the same token, anyone that's honest will have to say that America hasn't always done the right thing towards people. And America still has a lot to learn themselves. And so, yes, I do see it's kind of the same coin. And as far as the Adventist Church, how we're supposed to um, address these things, it kind of goes towards what I said earlier, which is um, because we have been called out of every nation, tongue, kindred, and people, we care for every nation, tongue, kindred, and people. And we want what's best for every nation, tongue, kindred, and people especially those in our church. It says we, sh- we should really do, we should do good to all people, but the Bible says especially to the, the household of faith. So anything that's affecting our people in the household of, of faith, we should care about. Whether they politically align with us or racially align with us, whatever, we should care about it. And so to that extent, we all should look after each other, should care for each other, and stand up for each other. Realize we may not agree on everything, but we all agree on Jesus Christ. And so we should support each other in that. Hey, I actually really appreciate that because 
you know, when the early church had needs, they weren't lobbying Rome for money. They were self-sacrificing and giving and helping within the community of faith, right? So, you know, if I get a vaccine and somebody else doesn't and loses their job, I want to rally around that person and support them because they're being faithful to their convictions. If somebody, uh, you know, has any kind of need, you know, I think our first, you know, first place we want to look is within the church just for help. And, you know, I'm not saying we can't vote things that are good for the country. What I'm saying is the church is the first place to implement change. Local church? Even local church. I'm just saying, like, we know our community, we know our members, we know our people. When someone's missing, when someone's sick, you know, we don't have to ask the conference for permission to go and visit them, you know, to give them food. We could just get involved, right? Amen. Amen. These last thing these guys want are more emails from me, believe it or not. (laughs) Um, They get plenty of that. Um, So I'm not saying it's wrong to, you know, vote your conscience and, you know, try to implement change, legislative change that will bring about good for other people, but don't wait for that. Start now. Amen. I think, you know, there's the question you, you bring out here that, and it's a very human uh, thing that we do. We coalesce around those that are like us. And uh, we naturally gravitate towards those that think like we do. So obviously, if we feel like we've been injured and there's others that feel like that they've been injured, they're going to gravitate together, whether it is the uh, racial issues or whether it's COVID issues or whatever. But the church needs to be above that. We don't want to have a church that focuses on racial issues and another church that focuses on COVID issues. We want to be a church, local churches, that are united together and learning from one another and from their stories and from uh, their perspectives. And so I think we really need to guard against getting in silos. Well, they think like I do, I'm gonna gravitate here. No, let's intentionally try to get outside of our silos. Let's try to understand the other perspective. And as we do that, we're going to be, in Galatians it says, bear one another's burdens. This is something that we are to be doing and we need to be intentional and more intentional about it as a church to really help and support one another, even those that are totally opposite in many ways from what we think should be done. You know, and, 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 and that's very important, like you said, bear each other's burdens, because there's oftentimes change happens when the right people stand up in the right circumstances. Uh, a, a, a typical or uh, maybe an example that can be given is you have, uh, and, we're t- and we're talking about, say, racial issues, you have, you have some people that won't say um, racial, to say, you know, slurs in front of other people, but when they get toward with their own group, they will say it, right? It's important for someone in that group that understands that that's wrong to say, listen, why are we talking like this? Or why would you say something like that? But if you stay silent, then the people that say it think that it's okay to say it. And, and many times changes happen in this world because the people who were not necessarily directly benefiting from it cared about their brother and said, listen, I don't want you treating my brother like that. It's not me, but he is me because that's my brother. And we should care about each other. And so, like you said, we shouldn't be in silos. But like was said earlier, if something is wrong, something is wrong. And again, the more political we are, the less we're going to recognize this. So we really need to become biblical in our, in our thinking. And even more, even more than biblical, I'll say biblical slash prophetic, like you were kind of alluding to, we realize where things are going and we need to 
to move in that way as well. But we, we, we have to look at each other and say, are my brother is not just someone that goes to my church that looks like me. My brothers, everyone that's in this church is my brother and my sister. And so if it's affecting them, if, 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 if my favorite talking head says something that would insult my brother, I don't like that. Not that I don't care because it's not me. We should always care about our brothers and sisters. Amen. This is from Desire of Ages, page 506. The government under which Jesus lived was corrupt and oppressive. On every hand were crying abuses, extortion, intolerance, and grinding cruelty. Yet the Savior attempted no civil reforms. He attacked no national abuses nor condemned the national enemies. He did not interfere with the authorities or the administration of those in power. He who was our example kept aloof from earthly governments, not because he was indifferent to the woes of men, but because the remedy did not lie in merely human and external measures, but by implanting the nature of Christ in humanity through the work of the Holy Spirit. I would just say that, you know, when the, the last question as far as what is the role of the SDA church to address these matters? And I'll just say, you know, what each of our individual roles is, and that's, again, the, the call that we've been given in Micah 6.8, and that is that God has shown us what is good and what he requires of us, and that's to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk, walk humbly. So when we see issues of injustice, when we see issues um, where mercy is needed, we need to act, and we need to act with humility um, for those who have been oppressed, those who have been hurt, um, those, who have feel, those who feel that they've been mistreated. Amen. I don't know about you, but this has been a blessing. Um, and I, I know that there, we could probably go on and on, but it's been a long day, and we need to wrap up. But I just want to say thank you so much, for, again, for this opportunity. I want to thank the panelists and all the pre presenters as well. These, these types of things are not easy to put together because we ultimately we want to have a message that's biblical, that's, that's um, sound and principled, and also supports unity if we can have it. And, uh, and so that's ultimately the aim and the goal of today. We hope and pray that it was a blessing to you. Thank you so much for being here, and, and God bless. And we're going to go ahead and close with a word of prayer as we conclude this Sabbath service. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all uh, that you do on our behalf all the time, even without our recognition. And we just want to pray as, as a church, as a church family, moving forward, that you will inspire us to be intentional about unity, Help us to understand our brothers and sisters and to adopt that principle into our own lives, the, the principle of the, the least of these, my brethren and sisters. We thank you, Lord. Guide us through the rest of the Sabbath. Help us as a church. And we thank you so much that you are our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, 
or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.